going on everybody? It's your buddy, it's your pals, Pass Phoenix, and this is Flix Fix, and no, it's not a trailer reaction. For once, we are going to talk about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania, and this is not going to have any structure to it whatsoever. This is going to be a ramble, because I don't really know... I don't really know what to say about this movie that's not going to make me sound like a jackass. Before we get into anything else, disclaimer, right up front, 20 or so seconds into the pod, there's going to be spoilers. I don't really know how guys like Emergency Awesome managed to do an entirely spoiler-free review. That's a, that's a talent that I really don't have. So if you haven't seen the movie yet and you care about spoilers, don't listen to this because I'm going to get into basically the entire movie. I went into this movie as a huge fan of Marvel, expecting to not be overwhelmed, not be underwhelmed, just be whelmed. And I pretty much got exactly what I, I had coming to me, I guess. You guys know, for those of you that have been following me for a long time, huge fan of Marvel, huge fan of what current Marvel Studios, I should say, rather than just saying Marvel across the board, really big fan of what they have created. Even when we were in the beginnings of the Infinity Saga, the fact that you had this movie, this movie, this movie, and then it all comes together, and then that movie that comes together goes together with another movie that goes together in this one whole cinematic universe, I think it's, even though people praise it now for what it is, I still don't think it gets the praise that it deserves, to the point where every other, every other iteration, every other, um, every other form of entertainment is trying to do it now. DC, the less said about DC, the better. <laughs> Let's be real for a second. But, like, even shows try to do it now. Um, like, you get, uh, I don't know what you guys watch, where you guys watch it. I don't really watch a lot of police shows anymore, mostly because society dictates that we're not allowed to call policemen good guys anymore, which is absolutely ridiculous. But the Chicago trilogy that goes on, like, I think it's every Wednesday, and it's Chicago Med, Chicago Fire, Chicago PD, and it's three connected shows. I used to watch Grey's Anatomy. Yes, go ahead and laugh at me if you want. And they connected that to Station 19. Um, you know, the the Universal Monsters, they tried to do the Monsterverse thing that ended with uh, Godzilla vs. Kong and, and all that. So the, the whole connected thing, Marvel had to, to put its palette out early and say, we can actually do this. And they've been doing it for like 15 years now. Go back to Iron Man. I will always give Iron Man the biggest credit in the world for that. Because if Iron Man flops, we don't have the MCU. It, it, it just is what it is. I mean, there, I know there was great things that they wanted to put into Iron Man that were taken out, but it was still the building block that all this was built on. I really like the MCU. Big mark for the MCU. If you don't, if you want to, if you want the biggest example of what a mark I am for the MCU, go back through the archives. It should be on the podcast in two parts. It's on YouTube as one continuous video. It's myself and former co-host Kristen, who I really hope to get back on here soon. Shout out to Black Cat Feline. And in one podcast, we did a review that consisted of the first 19 movies. It's about four hours long. We were delirious by the end of that, but it was a lot of fun. But with the MCU being what it is, there does come some drawbacks. And it does have a, a sort of a trapping factor where you would watch movies that you would definitely not watch 
if they weren't part of this bigger thing. For myself, controversial as it is, I would say the entirety of anything with Captain America in the title, because Captain America, as a character, can fuck off. Same as in DC, where as a character, Superman can fuck off. Always going to go with Iron Man, always going to go with Batman. The fact that we got, a couple years ago, Batman versus Superman and Iron Man versus Captain America in the same year was something that we should have reveled in a lot more, I'm not going to lie. But, you know, you watch Captain America because it's part of the bigger story. You watch Civil War, which really isn't a Captain America movie, but, you know, they threw Captain America in the title and it's fine uh, because it led to, to bigger things. And I'm sorry for me... The next example of that is Ant-Man. Now, to tell you why I don't like Ant-Man, or to, sorry, to tell you my issues with Ant-Man, I should say, I should first tell you what I thought of Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel was not a good movie, but I like Brie Larson. I like Brie Larson as the person that introduced this character to me, as somebody who doesn't really read the comics. I think she was fantastic in a crap movie, and my phone's flashing at me, so we're going to take care of that right now, throw that over there, and away we go. Brie Larson was great in a pretty crap movie. Let's be real for a second. Now, Ant-Man is the opposite. The Ant-Man movies are really fun. They're more family-oriented because he's a more family-oriented character. The supporting cast are great. The effects are great, especially in this one that we're going to talk about today. But here's the tick. Here is the tick, and here's where we start off. I don't like Paul Rudd. It is what it is. I'm sure he's a great guy. Uh, by all by all accounts, by all interviews I've seen, he seems like a, uh, a pretty down-to-earth, pretty nice guy and all that. I don't dislike him as a person. I don't like what he is as a character in other things that I've seen him in, and it includes the MCU, unfortunately. That really, really... Uh, the movie's going to open and I'm going to be this super awkward character that keeps falling into situations and by the end nothing has really changed. If you watch an entire two hours of I'm funny because I'm awkward, that makes me awkward as a viewer. And it doesn't apply to everybody equally. There are people that do it well. It's kind of like Will Ferrell in the sense that I won't sit down and watch a Will Ferrell movie most of the time, but I will see his cameo in something like Wedding Crashers, and I'm like, okay, for that 10 minutes, I got my fill of Will Ferrell, and I'm done. In the Avengers movies, in uh, in Civil War, in, um, oh, what's it called? In Civil War, and in Infinity War and Endgame, he was part of a larger thing, and he played his role, and they kind of made him the guy that came up with the entire solution for Endgame, which was a bit obnoxious, but he played his role well. He had his big spot in the larger fight at the end of Endgame. I really like that. Uh, he, he's good as part of a team. Most people have said that they don't like Iron Man, and they prefer him to be as one contributing member of a team. I don't agree. Robert, Robert Daddy Jr. was fucking fantastic. But I will take that logic and I will apply it here, because a couple of minutes of comedy here and there throughout a larger ensemble piece, fantastic. An entire two hours of you gotta love this guy because he's awkward, not for me. So his portrayal of Ant-Man is the least appealing thing to me about the Ant-Man movie. Now, you go to the supporting cast, though. Um, Jonathan Majors, I should say, as Kang, as Kang the Conqueror, 
fantastic because he's got that weird charismatic you can almost see where he's coming from you can almost be on his side type thing like jigsaw it would be my prime example because i love the saw movies obviously but there is uh, uh, an element of that in thanos as well and if thanos is the template for the marvel overarching villains kang is supposed to be the overarching villain of the multiverse saga the same way thanos was the overarching villain of the infinity saga this guy's great already. We've seen him in Loki uh, as the um, oh the man at the end of it all, or whatever they called him uh, at the end of that. And uh, the version that he plays in this is really, really good. Evangeline Lilly as Hope Van Dyne is great. Bill Murray. <laughs> they got us with this, did they not? I, I, I talk about the traps of being a Marvel fan. I thought it was really cool when I saw Bill Murray pop up in the trailer for this. Spoiler alert, he's in it for about four minutes and his character doesn't really contribute anything. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer is fantastic in this movie specifically. Her relationship with the Michael Douglas Hank Pym character is fantastic. The two of them are great sort of fish out of water people once they get back into the quantum realm. We're going to talk about it in a second. Catherine Newton is now the third character to play Cassandra Lang and they play her off as basically hate to say it you see her introduced at the beginning of the movie and her dad's bailing her out of jail because she's a criminal but oh she did it for sjw reasons therefore she's a bad guy therefore dad's a prude even though dad's the main character and that this is the third person that's played okay the first one was a little kid second one was an aged up version of her and then they just had to recast her for whatever reason fine recasting is not the end of the world um what's his name um don Cheadle coming in to play to play war machine uh after the the previous guy had done it was not was not the end of the world peter dinklage existing in marvel twice is not the end of the world um these things happen we're gonna get harrison ford in as the new agent ross in uh, some of the stuff that's coming up because uh the previous actor passed away so recasting is not the end of the world it does affect uh character investment though uh, the big thing that I said recently about uh, the, the new Game of Thrones show, uh, House of the Dragon, um, they introduced us to a bunch of characters, got us into those characters, and then aged them up really quick, so we had to get invested into brand new actors. Not the biggest, not the, not, not the greatest thing in the world, I'm not going to lie, but you've got a fantastic cast here, surrounding and propping up Paul Rudd, in my opinion, as somebody that doesn't like Paul Rudd. Um... So, getting back to my point, it was the opposite of the of the uh, Captain Marvel situation where you had one really good actress playing one really good character that I liked in a crap movie. Here, you have actor who's not a bad actor, but an actor who acts in a style that's not for me, portraying, therefore, a character that's not being portrayed in a style that's for me, surrounded by a fucking amazing cast, <laughs> which is, which is, which is quite a twist. Um... Didn't expect much going into this. Like I said, the Marvel trap is, even if you're not particularly into the movie, you have to go see the movie because you got to see what it leads to. And considering the fact that we know um, the multiverse, the Avengers, Kang dynasty is, is down the line in a couple years, this is the first real introduction of Kang outside of the Loki show. 
Um, sorry, the Loki show one. I just remembered the name of it. They uh, it wasn't he wasn't called Kang. He was called He Who Remains. So that's the He Who Remains version of Kang. This is the Conqueror version of Kang. We're gonna get into some of the rest of it later on. So you were introducing this major villain in the whole movie, rather than uh, in the in the Infinity Saga, where Thanos basically showed up in cameos and post-credit scenes and teases and what have you. So we're gonna explore the quantum realm some more. We were going to get to know the Kang character more. We were going to see where all these characters were going going forward. We were going to probably focus a lot on Scott Lang's daughter because we know in the background they're also building up towards this Young Avengers thing that's happening apparently in 2025. Somebody correct me down in the box below if I'm wrong. So this movie had to do a lot of things other than be the movie that it is. And I find that a little, a little disjointed. I want to be excited about the movie that I'm watching, and then okay, when they drop, when I see the awesome movie, and they drop off the hints for the next few things that are coming, that's great. If I'm only going to a movie because I hope that it's going to lead to something else good, that's not so great. Uh, direct comparison for that would be uh, Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, I'm invested in every single fucking character in that movie. I, you know, on the, this is the third Ant-Man, that's going to be the third Galaxy, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy movie. The way they're presenting even the trailer for that already makes it kind of sad. You know at least one or two characters are going to die, and those are all characters that I that I am more involved with, that I do have a lot more fun with. Um, they're, they're, they're the ragtag asshole heroes. Like, watching a Guardians of the Galaxy movie is like hanging out with your buddies, where you know you can let out a dirty joke and nobody's gonna care. So, as funny as it sounds, watching those movies feels like you're hanging out with your friends. If whoever dies in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is gonna be impactful, these characters, even though some of them are played by fantastic actors, they're all surrounding this obnoxious, sort of awkward Ant-Man Paul Rudd character, and they could all fall off the face of the earth, especially when one's been played by three different actors. I don't really know what else to say to you about that, so we'll get into the story. Very, very quickly, the story is, behind everybody's back, Ant-Man's daughter has been finding ways to communicate with the Quantum Realm. She's sending signals to the Quantum Realm, and the Quantum Realm has sent something back. It's basically the equivalent of a sci-fi movie where we sent a probe into space, and all of a sudden, we get invaded by aliens. But, before we get into that, the movie starts off with a little bit of a previously-on type thing, when Hope, uh, not Hope Van Dyne, Janet Van Dyne, uh, played by Michelle Pfeiffer, was first stranded in the Quantum Realm, and she ran into who would become Kang the Conqueror, which... I don't... The actual name of the character is supposed to be related to the guy from Fantastic Four. Yes, I'm pulling things off the top of my head, I'm not gonna bother looking. But they meet, and, you know, they're the only two people there, supposedly, according to them. So they become friends, and it's implied that they help each other out, and everybody's all happy and wonderful. And then we flash back to the current day, where they all get sucked into the quantum realm. And it's all blown up into this big city civilization thing, and they're all stranded. How do we get out? Through a bunch of minor characters that we don't know, who are, here's a random creature, here's a random creature, here's a random creature, here's a random creature, and it felt very Star Wars for a little while. I know it's all under the Disney banner, but not everything has to look like Star Wars, especially when they're technically not in space. 
So basically, they, they all get split up, and what's happened is in the time that Janet Van Dyne has been gone, Kang the Conqueror has conquered the, uh, the Quantum Realm, and everybody that Scott and his daughter run into are the rebels, and they're trying to fight back against this, you know, dominant uh, dictating force, and when, uh, when Janet and Hope and whoever else is with them, they go to find Bill Murray, because Bill Murray's character, Lord Krylar, looking at the spelling, I hope I pronounced that correctly, but anyways, I can go to Krylar, and he'll tell me what to do, and he'll tell me where Kang is, and we'll get everything all sorted out, and then you find out very quickly that Krylar has has ascended up the ranks and become quite a, basically, uh, a cartoon character of a politician, and brings them all to Kang, and Kang's a bad guy now, and then we get the rest of the flashback to find out why Kang is a bad guy, because he crash-landed, as we said before, in the quantum realm, found Janet Van Dyne, they put his ship back together, he tries to start telling her about time travel and, and space and you can recreate realities and you people, you people, don't, uh, don't look at time the right way and all this kind of thing. So when she helps him put the, the quantum drive, I think I'm... I think I'm thinking of the right terminology there. Basically, this quantum drive thing that drives his spaceship that goes through all the timelines and all the space and all the different realities and whatnot is damaged because he's been exiled to the quantum realm by them. We find out who them is later, but she puts it all back together, and the spaceship is powered by his mind. So, of course, when she touches the spaceship, she reads his mind and finds out, shock horror, he's actually the bad guy, and she sees images of everything he's done and everything he wants to do, and it's basically him going reality to reality and destroying everything. She says, can't do that, shrinks herself down, takes the drive out, and... This is the part I don't get about the whole movie. People that have watched the movie, tell me, tell me how she destroyed the drive by making it bigger. Because that's what she did. She destroyed it by making it bigger, which basically stranded him there, and then after the events of, whether it was either between Infinity War and Endgame, where they saved her, they left, sorry, she left him behind left him behind to be this big conquering character, amass all this power and all this sort of thing, where, here's the thing, again, I don't get it. He has powers, but he's lost the thing that gives him the power to go anywhere or do anything, but he still manages to bring all this technology forth and make all these, you know, disposable stormtroopers, for lack of a better term, and these people, in the meantime, while, they, while nobody's been there watching it, have you know, rebelled and been quashed down and rebelled and been quashed down, etc., etc., etc. So, what ends up happening is Kang captures Cassie Lang and Scott Lang and basically, Ant-Man, you have to go, you have to go find this quantum drive for my, for my spaceship. And again, the terminology gets really messy because he sends them down into this big, giant, expanded version of the quantum drive to find the quantum drive, you get this very, admittedly, very cool visual scene uh, where he reaches this point where all the potentials of reality sort of converge all at once, so a version of him exists for every decision he could possibly make, so suddenly there's thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of Scott Langs making a pile of bodies up towards this drive. I will say, as I said, Visually, very stunning. Not quite as good as stuff you would see in sort of a Doctor Strange movie. Still very cool. Made me think of 
if anybody has watched Game of Thrones and you remember specifically to the Battle of the Bastards, where um, Jon Snow, who's going to be the Black Knight in the MCU, so there's a tie-in here, he's basically taken so much losses that he's buried under all the dead bodies of all his comrades and whatever. That's how dense the battle is. And he gets buried and he gets pulled back out again. That's what happens with all the Scots. All the Scots help him get up to the thing, shrink it back down, turn it into an engine again. And, you know, Kang gets his hand on, hands on it. All the family gets back together again. We see Modoc, which is... <laughs> okay. Let's, uh, let's take a side side jaunt for a second and talk about how Modoc is actually the character from the first Ant-Man movie played by Corey Stahl and he was the guy in the in the bumblebee like evil Ant-Man suit and he gets sent to the quantum realm and Kang the Conqueror has used all the technology to revive just his head and I know that that's what Modoc is Modoc is just a head but when they open up the mask and it's actually like his actual human face within this CGI concoction. It's kind of horrifying, actually. And um, he sort of played off simultaneously as this great, brilliant technician, but also a bit of a dweeb and also a bit of a lackey to Kang. So the addition of that was weird, off-putting. Again, it's that comedy of you have to find it funny because it's awkward in a moment that didn't really need to be funny at all because here's this guy trying to save his his daughter anyways there's a big fight uh obviously when they got knocked into the quantum realm uh hank pym's ant farm with all the ants that have been building their own technology over time they make it in as well and suddenly they're big so there's a big battle where they rally all the all the rebels that are down there along with themselves, along with Corey Stahl's character of MODOK suddenly becoming good again, along with armored ants. <laughs> it's it's a lot. And then they have this big, uh, obviously big Marvel-style fighting scene at the end. Uh, nobody can, you know, destroy me individually, but, you know, all of you together and through the power of love and blah, 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 we can, we can get it done. Um, his daughter has a suit as well just because and she can grow and shrink and when they both grow they talk about how they get really hungry for citrus fruits which is again another break up the the tension of the scene with a little bit of marvel comedy that doesn't really work um i don't know they get to the end and there's a fight and they sort of like throw him into the into the time sphere quantum drive Thing, and it kind of zaps him out of existence, but also to do that, he had to leave, you know, he had to leave Janet and Hank and his daughter back in the real world, while Hope came back to help him defeat Kang, and then you think, oh, what a sacrifice, they're going to be stuck in the Quantum Realm, and they can lead all the Quantum Realm people into a new, like, prosperous era of that dimension, I guess, and it would be kind of a, a bittersweet, oh, you know, I can't see my dad anymore, but my dad's in a different place, and he's going to go do some good, and then, no, the daughter comes five minutes later, punches up a couple of buttons, reopens the portal, and everybody's fine again. <laughs> like, you you, you could have had some... It's, it's the, oh, my God, they shot down Chewbacca, and then two scenes later you see that he's fine and alive, and it was the other ship that was shot down. Um... 
big battle, big sprawling CGI battle in a big sprawling CGI universe that really never really tries to have rules because it's not it's not based in Earth and it's not based in what we know space to be. So kind of anything can happen. The buildings are people. So that's a thing, and they grab the nearest flying whatever to get wherever they're going. When there's no rules, it makes it really hard to have stakes, and it's sort of stuff happening in front of you. Very well made, digitally, visually, again, I gotta say, very stunning, uh, side work uh, from some of the supporting cast, absolutely great. I will say, Michael Douglas, I'm not giving them the credit that they deserve, Michael Douglas, Michelle Pfeiffer, as the now grandparents of this family team, are phenomenal in their supporting roles. The daughter is really trying to play the new young upstart, I'm gonna be one of the heroes soon characters, and it comes off a bit flat, if I'm completely honest. Um, I don't know. It's a bunch of pretty CGI happening in front of you. The ants are kind of thrown in at the end, and at that point, it's kind of a whatever. Uh, some of the comedy characters that live in the quantum realm, like there's a guy that basically looks like he's made out of jello, and his entire introduction is, ha ha ha, you're one of those humans. How many holes do you have? Okay. All right. So they win the day, that version of Kang gets destroyed, everybody goes home happy, and then you get to the post-credit scenes. And the post-credit scenes are more what we're looking for. Like, I, I got more excited about the post-credit scenes than I did for the movie. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, the first post-credit scene was all the other Kangs being called together from all the other dimensions, because apparently they were the ones that exiled this particular Kang to the Quantum Realm, and the, I guess, the three most powerful Kangs are talking, and it's like, oh, he was dispatched by them, I guess, meaning the humans. Um, you know, if he could be dispatched by them, maybe we, maybe there's something we need to worry about, and they're getting way too close to touching the multiverse. Now that, even that is a bit of a problem, because, yes, if you want to say all these Kangs got together and said, okay, we got to worry about the humans now, because now they're learning about the multiverse. Um, I don't know how to put this, but they've been fucking with the multiverse for a while. We've done time travel, we've done different realities, we've done branching timelines, we've done different dimensions, we've done three different versions of Spider-Man, we've done uh, America Chavez and Doctor Strange hopping through the multiverse, so whatever they're worried about now, they should have already been worried about? That's that's a question for another day. But ultimately, yes, the, uh, the Council of Kangs is referred to as the Dynasty of Kangs, obviously in this movie, and going forward, because one of the next Avengers movies is going to be called Kang Dynasty, that kind of makes sense. And we go to the second post-credit scene where there's like an 1800-something version of Kang giving a first speech about time to a couple local people in a small theater with a very, very uh, historical, uh, low-tech version, I guess, of a time machine. And in the audience, you can see Mobius and Loki. So at least you got a cameo from them in the post-credit scene, which I'd rather see than Paul Rudd's Ant-Man. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um... <sighs> I wish I liked this more. I really do. It's building blocks. It's building to a lot of other 
a lot of other things. It does make me wish that Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer were the main characters of the movie, not gonna lie. But here's the problem. You had a big epic battle at the end. Um, there's no epicness to it because here's this character Kang that we've only seen once before and it was a different version of him so we don't really know what to think of him. Here's an entire war between Kang's army that we've never seen before and all these resistance fighters that we've never seen before in a world that most of these movies don't take place in. Um, it, it's, it's asking a lot to get, to get dropped into the middle of that battle and suddenly care about it. That's a huge flaw here. The other huge flaw, like I said, is this is meant to sort of be the beginning of the passing of the torch from uh, from Ant-Man and the Wasp to the daughter, who apparently is playing the Stinger version of Cassie Lang. Not familiar. Don't read the comics. You guys are going to have to tell me down in the box below. Um, and like I say, the actress that's played her character has changed three times already. So that doesn't help. And she's never been a focus other than uh, other than Scott Lang saying, I gotta finish this battle, I gotta save the world and get back to my daughter. Like, she's never been a character, she's been sort of a plot point of her dad's character. And I have to say it once again, his dad, her dad's character is not a character that I care about. So, a very well-made movie that I didn't care about is a horrible way for me to describe this movie, but I also think it's pretty damn accurate. The Modoc thing was awkward. All the characters that are just like whatever species from the whatever realm that we're supposed to care about and the daughter sort of being introduced as this brand new hero whose big claim to fame is SJW guilt tripping her dad at dinner. None of it hit for me. It was a very well made movie. Like I say, I'll say it again. Not quite to the standard of a Doctor Strange movie, but still pretty damn visually stunning. Um, sit down, enjoy your popcorn, but if you're like me and you don't like necessarily like Paul Rudd and you're not necessarily into the awkward comedy, probably going to be very whelmed like I am. So, kind of a weird downtrodden review for me to do when I haven't done a review in a while. Uh, I'm going to get back to doing some more trailer reactions. Soon we had a bunch of trailers uh, come out around the Super Bowl, so I'm going to get around to those. Yes, I'm going to talk about Michael Keaton Batman. We will get there, I promise. Um, the next thing I'm going to probably review with you guys, I mean, there's a lot of horror stuff coming along, let's be real, but I am excited to go see Guardians of the Galaxy, and I'm already prepared to walk out of that movie very, very sad. So, who knows, you might get another pod that rambles on sort of incoherently, just like this one. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, please share it around, uh, you know, share it on Twitter, share it on Facebook, share it whatever. If you share my stuff, because I know some people do, please tag me so I can thank you. I, I, I've said that before, but I need to say it more often. If you take the moment to share something that I've shared or something that I've created, please tag me so that I can thank you. It's a huge deal to me. I really do appreciate it. Um, find me at SpazPhoenix or at SpazPhoenix1 on Twitter, at SpazPhoenix on Instagram. The SpazPhoenix Podcast Facebook group is on Facebook, and you can find this on YouTube by searching SpazPhoenix or anywhere else, Rumble, Spotify, iTunes by searching SpazPhoenix Podcast. I've rambled quite long enough. I really wish this movie had been better so I could be more excited. Anyways, I've been Spaz. This has been Flix Fix. Subscribe up there. Talk down there. Start a conversation. Keep all these conversations going. Don't be a stranger. I will teach you never to talk to each and every last one of you later. I almost fucked that up. But for right now, I'm out of here, guys. Bye.